Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor David Eldridge. Uh, Galatians 4. So Paul is trying to, urging, pleading with the Galatians to return to the gospel that he preached to them that they first believed, which is we're justified or declared righteous by God through faith in Jesus alone, not through faith in Jesus plus obedience to the law. Last week, we saw that Paul created a contrast, these two different ways of living. We can live under the law, which is characterized by condemnation and constraint and captivity, or we can live in Christ, which is characterized by intimacy. We're children of God. We've been adopted into his family and by inheritance. We're heirs, co-heirs with Jesus. We're heirs of God. And what moves us from being under the law to being in Christ is faith in Jesus. When the set time had fully come, God sent a son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem us, to buy us back from the law that we might receive the adoption of sonship. And so that, that was last week. This week, Paul puts a pause on all of the theology that we've been kind of wading through for the past three weeks. And he appeals to the Galatians from the heart. It's a very emotion-laden section that we're going to look at today where he's, honestly, he's, he's kind of that lovingly frustrated. He's frustrated. He's at the end of his rope, kind of wit's end. He says he's perplexed or puzzled. He doesn't get why they're doing what they're doing. And it's, again, it, it, there's, you can, I can hear kind of, and I think you may as well, some frustration there, but it's frustration that's rooted in, that's rooted in love. So we're going to read a few verses starting in verse uh, 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn your eyes out and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you, you may have zeal for them. It's time, excuse me, it's fine to be zealous provided the purpose is good and to be so always, not just when I'm with you. My dear children, for whom I'm again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I'm perplexed about you. So again, Paul from this place of frustration, end of his rope, wit's end. He's appealing to the Galatians on a very, again, emotional level. And he begins by saying, you guys have been set free from slavery, so why are you going back to it? This is something that we talked about last week, these elemental spiritual forces of the world. The, that's, he mentions those things, those, we said that Satan and his demons. He mentions them in uh, verse 3, he mentions them again in verse 9, and, and he's saying, they're, they're, before you knew the Lord and before you were known by him, you were enslaved by those forces. What does that look like? You worshiped false gods, idolatry. You worshiped gods that weren't gods. You can think of all of the Zeus and Diana and Artemis, all the, the Roman and Greek gods. You worshiped them, and they're not 
gods, but they're, they are real. They're spiritual forces that stand behind those entities, and that's Satan and his demons, and they had enslaved you. And then when you became a Christian, when you knew God and were known by him, and remember, no, and the Bible is not intellectual, and theoretical, it's personal and relational. When you came into this relationship with God, you were set free from that captivity. So now why would you put yourself in bondage again? How are they doing that? By placing themselves under the law, by following the Jewish calendar, special days and months and seasons and, and years. And that Jewish calendar was a gift to the Jewish people. It was a, it was a structure for keeping God at the center of their life. Here are the offerings that you make every day, and here's the offerings and sacrifices that you make every week on the Sabbath, and the offerings and sacrifices you make every month on the new moon, and the offerings and sacrifices you make every year at these three major festivals. All of those things were good, and again, it was a structure that helped the Jews keep worship of God at the center of their life. But Paul is saying, like, you don't need to do that anymore. We're 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 not offering more sacrifices If you're to do that, you're putting yourself back under the law. And we saw last week, we don't have time to dig in to to review, but you can go back and listen if you want. We saw last week that the enemy actually uses the law to enslave people who are under the law. He uses something that was good, the law, and he uses it to place people into bondage. And that's what Paul is saying. You were in bondage to the enemy through the worship of false gods. You were set free through relationship with Jesus. So why would you go back to bondage this time rather than it's not bondage through the worship of false gods. It's it's bondage through trying to be justified by following the law. That doesn't make any sense. Why would you why would you do that? And then his the the thesis statement for today become like me. That's what he's wanting for them. And now again he's he's talked to them on a theological level. This is based on how God worked in the life of Abraham. He's talked to them through their experience, their own personal experience. This was the message that you believed. And the Holy Spirit came and filled your heart as a result of your believing this message that I preached. He's talked to them through the lens of what Jesus did on the cross. And now he's just appealing on the most personal level. I want you to be like I am. What does he mean? I want you to, to walk in freedom like I am walking in freedom. We'll see more about freedom when we get to chapter 5. But for now, he's just, he's, he's just, it's just a hint. You, you guys know what it was like when I was with you. And I want y'all to be like I am, free in, free in Christ, not in bondage to the enemy, whether that's in bondage because we're worshiping false gods or in bondage because we're trying to be justified through the law. I want y'all to live as children, as sons and daughters who've been adopted into God's family, who don't have to earn his favor any longer. That's what, that's what I want for y'all. I became like you. This is Paul's missionary posture. Sorry, I have to take this out. Sorry. I couldn't see. Well, now I can't either, but at least it's not, it's not itching my eye anymore. So the, what he's, he's saying to them I, I became like y'all. This is his missionary posture. It's called, the, the theological term is called incarnational ministry. To incarnate something is to put skin on it, flesh and bones. That's what we celebrate on Christmas. God becoming a man, becoming human, putting on flesh and, and bones. And that becomes the model for ministry for everyone after Jesus. And Paul says, I became like y'all. 
Y'all were Gentiles, and I became like you in order to reach you. And we see that throughout his letters. That's one of the things he says for us. That's the ministry model for us. You can think about it. It's, it's seen most clearly if you're reaching cross-culturally. You, wanna, you, wanna, you want Turkish people to know about Jesus, and you probably should learn to speak Turkish, and you should probably learn some Turkish culture and history and learn to, to love Turkish food. As much as you can as an American, you want to become a Turk without compromising your faith in order to reach. And Paul says, I did that for y'all, and now I want you to become like me, to walk in freedom. And then he gives them two contrasts, and he says, the way y'all are treating me now is very different from the way you were treating me initially. I had no complaints about the way you guys treated me initially. You were warm, you were welcoming, you were kind, and it wasn't easy. My coming was a trial to you. It was a difficulty. When Paul got to Galatia, he got there sick. He wasn't in great shape. And he's saying, you guys, you took me in even though it was a strain for you to do so. Remember, there's no hotels that you can send somebody to. You're, you're opening up your home. And Paul's a stranger and he's sick and they welcome him. What, what is his illness? We don't know. Is his illness in Galatians the same as the thorn in the flesh from 2 Corinthians? We don't know. But three, three big theories or three dominant theories. One is he got malaria. And so you can, the evidence for this is from his travel itinerary in Acts 13, specifically verses 13 and 14. He travels to a place called Pamphylia, which apparently is the kind of place where you get malaria. And then he goes from there to Galatia, which is the kind of place you go to to recover from malaria. We do know something happened on that yellow start, like something happened there. Because it does, it sends Paul on a detour to another place, Galatia, and one of his partners, Mark, from the Gospel of Mark, he actually goes home. He was traveling with Paul and Barnabas, and he quits, and it really, it's, it's offensive to Paul. And they, they have a falling out. They reconcile later, but it's a significant break relationally. So something did happen. Maybe, maybe Paul got sick, and maybe, who knows? what happened with Mark that caused him to go home. But at what, for some reason, at that yellow star, when he's in Pamphylia, he decides to go to Galatia. Second, and I think this is the least likely, is that Paul had epilepsy. So the thinking is that physical conditions are caused by, by spiritual beings. And so if you have something like epilepsy, it's a demon. And when Paul says, you didn't treat me with contempt or scorn, literally what he says is, you didn't spit at me. And so the, the thinking, again, the way that you either cast that demon out of someone or at least keep that demon contained is by spitting at the person who's epileptic. And Paul says, y'all didn't do that. He may have had something like, like pink eye, some kind of infection in his eyes. He says, y'all would have torn your eyes out and given them to me. In chapter 6, he says, see, I'm writing with a really large hand, with large handwriting. So maybe Paul had some problem with his sight. We don't know. Or D, none of the above. So he has... He some reason he winds up in Galatia. When he gets there, he's not in good shape. It's difficult for them to receive him, but they do. And that word trial can also be translated temptation. And I think that's the case also. Whatever your conception of God, if that's the God of the Bible or Zeus and these Roman gods, whatever, the dominant way of thinking is if you have a physical condition, it is caused by, by, these, by, by, by your God. And so if you're sick, it's because you're, you're being judged. And so Paul shows up as a stranger in 
pretty bad physical shape. And he starts talking to them, these Galatians about Jesus, who's God. And they may be thinking, well, whoever you're telling us about, he's not very happy with you right now. And so why should we, why should we, but they don't do that. They still listen to him, even though there's really nothing about him that would commend him to them as a messenger about the Lord. And he's saying, that's how you treated me. And now it's really different. I'm your enemy. You're hostile towards me, even though I'm just telling you the truth. I'm preaching the same message. And then he dives a little bit deeper and says, in terms of my posture towards you, as compared and contrasted with the posture of these troublemakers, this small group of Jewish Christians who are trying to convince the Galatians that they're saved, not just through faith, but through faith and their effort. He says about them, he's like, they're they're zealous for you. They're uh, maybe a better way of understanding that. They're, they're, they're uh, ingratiating themselves to you. They're fawning and fussing over you. They're pursuing you, but it's in order to get you really on their team. They don't have a great motive. They're trying to get you to withdraw from us. They're trying to alienate you from us. And we said way back when we started Galatians, this, it, 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 this is not about Paul's ego. It's not about him winning or losing. In chapter 1, verses 6 through 10, he lays it out and says, y'all are in danger of deserting God. That's huge. That's what's happening here. If you believe this gospel that actually is not a gospel, this good news, that's bad news, that these troublemakers are trying to teach you, you're, you're in danger of actually walking away of deserting God. Their salvation is at stake. And Paul is taking that very seriously. These guys don't have your best interest at heart at all. That's not what they're trying to win you to themselves for themselves. They're trying, they're making a fuss over you so that you'll wind up making a fuss over them. And he says, I'm like your mom, dear children, term of endearment. And I'm in pain, anguish, waiting on Jesus to be formed in you. It's a very different perspective I'm not, this isn't about what I can get from you. This is about what God is doing in you. And I'm in labor pain. I'm in anguish waiting on Jesus to be formed in you. That idea of going from a fetus to an infant. Again, it's a very different picture that Paul's painting of his perspective or his posture towards the Galatians and that of these troublemakers. So Paul, again, just kind of step back, pleading, urging, begging is probably not too strong a word. He's just trying to shake these guys. Wake up. Just wake up. I don't get why you're doing what you're doing. You've been walking in freedom. Why would you, walk, why would you choose to enslave yourself again? This is a message that you believed you experienced the work of the Holy Spirit as a result of this message. Why would you throw that away? I've shown you from the Old Testament. I've shown you from the work of Jesus. He's redeeming you from the law. Why would you put yourself back under it? Be like me. That's what I want for y'all to, again, walk in that level of of freedom. A couple of things as um, maybe we wrap this section up this morning. So two things I'm just going to mention that we don't have time to talk about. And then one thing that we'll talk about with a little depth. I thought this was a great question. What does it mean to be known by God? For most of us, when we think about salvation, we think about knowing Jesus, which is true. 
do we think about him knowing us? And what does that mean, to be known by God? I think about that uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says that the Father knows all the number. He knows the, the number of hairs on our head, that level of understanding and insight and intimacy down to the very the smallest detail. When we think about relationships kind of on this plane, what do we do? We put our best foot forward. We want to make a good impression. So what I want is for, I want to present my best self to Courtney so he connects to me. So then when he sees the rest of me, he's already invested. That's what we do. That's not the way it is with the Lord though, is it? He knows us through and through. Top to bottom, front to back, inside and out. And he loves us. That should create security, peace in our hearts. There's no putting on our best face. There's no curating and projecting an image. There's no best foot forward with him. He knows all of us and he loves us. And so my hope would be that would create some level of peace and security in you. If that's something you struggle with, I would say take some time this week and Just dive into that idea. God, what does it mean for you to know me? What does it mean for me to be known by you? Psalm 139, you may want to start there. It bookends with God knows me and God know me, search me. And so that that may be a a psalm you want to read through a couple of times this week. This idea, become like me. I was thinking about this as a parent. Many of you are parents. What if your kids became like you? Are you okay with that? Not becoming like what you say, but becoming like who you are and what you do. Like, is that okay? Can you say to your kids, become like me? You're not perfect. But what if they do? What if they become like you? What's getting passed on to them? There's lots of things that we tolerate within ourselves that we don't want to see in others. It's, we create a double standard. It's okay for me to have a short temper and to blow up at other people. It's not okay for my kids to do that. Why not? It's either okay or it's not okay. I may have to have a little extra to drink at night to deal with my anxiety so I can sleep, but I don't want that for my I don't, my, my kids, no. Like I would just, what, this isn't to make you feel guilty. It's just to say, what if, or maybe better, where can you say become like me? Those of you, for all of us, the people that you're closest to, your best buddies. If, if those things that are in you are replicated in others, is that good for them? And are you okay with that? It may just be something to think about, not from a place of guilt, but just to say, this super spiritual God, I don't want to pass on these negative spiritual habits. I, I want you to break these patterns of sinful thinking and acting in my life. I don't want those things passed on to others. I want the inheritance that I give to my children or to others to be one of righteousness and joy and peace, not one of whatever, fill in those blanks. Maybe something for you to think about. I want us to spend a little bit of time on this idea of detours because everybody is going to get detoured at some point in your life. And some of you right now, you're on a detour. And how we respond to that, it's really important. Paul was in Galatia because of a detour that wasn't part of his original travel itinerary. 
He was sent out, he and Barnabas, from the church in Antioch. That's in Acts 13, the first four verses. He was sent by the Holy Spirit through his home church, the church of Antioch, and Galatia wasn't on the list. But because of whatever the illness is, he winds up in Galatia. He took a detour. When I think of detours, I think of Joseph. You remember his story, the back 20, 25% of Genesis. Joseph is the 11th of 12 sons of Jacob, and he's the favorite. And his dad makes it plain that he's the favorite. He gives him some clothes that are special, a, a coat, a robe that's special. So he knows he's the favorite. His brothers know he's the favorite when he's 17, either through like childhood innocence or foolishness. He has these dreams and he tells these dreams to his family. And in the dreams, his family, his brothers and his dad bow down to him. Any of you who have older brothers, how does that go? Not good. But he tells them. And in a series of events, his older brothers wind up selling him into slavery. And he goes from Canaan to Egypt. When he's in Egypt, he works for a guy named Potiphar. Potiphar's wife throws herself at Joseph. He resists her advances. She's humiliated and angry. And so she accuses him of trying to rape her. So Potiphar has Joseph thrown in jail. Joseph's in jail in Egypt. There's two servants from Pharaoh. Pharaoh's the leader of the Egyptian empire. And these two servants are in jail. Each of them have a dream. They're confused. Joseph interprets their dreams. And one of those guys, the cupbearer, his job is to taste the wine and then give it to Pharaoh. He gets restored to his position and Joseph says, remember me. And Pharaoh, excuse me, the cupbearer is restored and he forgets Joseph. Joseph's two more years languishing in prison. Pharaoh has a dream. Nobody can interpret it. The cupbearer remembers Joseph, tells Pharaoh. They bring Joseph before Pharaoh and he interprets the dream. There's going to be seven years of abundance in the land and then seven years of famine. And Pharaoh says, you're the guy to manage all of this. So I'm going to elevate you. The only person who's going to have more power in the empire is me. You're second in command. And so Joseph spends seven years during this year, time of plenty of preparing for the famine. The famine comes and Joseph has set up a program to help keep everybody fed. In Canaan, the famine hits, that hits his family. And his dad, who thinks he's dead, says to the brothers, go to Egypt. They've got grain. The brothers go to Egypt. They appear before Joseph. They don't recognize him. It's been 20 years. They, they don't know what happened to him. He's dressed like an Egyptian. His hair's an Egyptian haircut. Wrong context. They don't recognize him. He recognizes them. And he's second in command of Egypt. And they want grain from him. And so they bow down. It's a fulfillment of, that, of those dreams. And there's more that flows out of that. But thinking about his life, it's a life marked by detours. And... At some point, if you haven't already, you're going to experience a detour as well. And how we respond to that is really important. What do we do when we're detoured? I'll give you just a couple of things to think about. And the first, it's a mindset shift. is to view your detours providentially. God's providence is his superintendence or his governance over the world. It's God accomplishing his will on the earth through his people. I think about it as the anonymous work of God. God Jesus heals a blind man. That's not providence. That's a miracle. 
That's a supernatural display of God's power. Maybe we would say it's providential that that blind man was on that street corner at the time when Jesus walked by. Maybe that guy, if he was telling the story, would say, yeah, I mean, my, my alarm didn't go off. I was running late. The corner where I normally beg was already, somebody was already there, so I wound up on this corner. And, you know, for, for whatever reason, I was just there, kind of right time, right place. That anonymous work of God, that's his providence. And we see that in Joseph. If you want to read a book about providence, read Esther. God, the word God, never appears in the book of Esther. But his fingerprints are on the whole thing. You can see him working, even though he never kind of, quote, takes credit for it. We don't see his name attached to anything, but we see his will being accomplished, the saving of his people through Esther and her cousin um, Mordecai. So, anyway, for us, when you get detoured, I want to encourage you, Think providentially. When, when we're detoured, normally for us, the emotional impact of that, we're disoriented, we probably get disappointed, we may get a bit, uh, we may start feeling sorry for ourselves a little bit. None of that's super helpful. It's, I would encourage you kind of work through those things as quickly as you can, so you can get to a point to say, okay, I'm in Galatia. It wasn't on the, it wasn't on the itinerary, but that's where I am. I'm in Potiphar's house. It's not what I was thinking, but that's where I am. I'm in jail. Wasn't part of my plan, but it's where I am. God, how do you want to use this? And that's the question to begin, maybe you can begin to ask, and you can ask it this way. God, what does it look like for me to be faithful on this detour? What we want to know is why. God, why this? You can ask that question. I'll save you some time. He's not going to answer it. Just go, what does it mean for me to be faithful? Paul's an apostle to the Gentiles, so he winds up in Galatia, a Gentile area. He preaches the gospel and plants a church. Joseph, he gets to these places and he just starts to serve. And he moves up and he winds up running Potiphar's house and then he winds up running the jail. He's faithful in those places. He serves and then he moves to a place of leadership and he does it very, very, very well. What does it look like for you to be faithful? For some of you, this church is a detour for you. This isn't where you thought you would be. What does it look like for you to be faithful? What does it look like for you in that job? Wasn't on your 10-year plan. This relational circumstance. Whether that's, for, for some, it's, it's a divorce. It wasn't something you wanted. It wasn't something you sought. It was something that was kind of done to you. And now your, your life is not where you thought it would be. What does it look like? Rather than saying why, say, God, what does it look like for me to be faithful in the midst of that? Romans 8.28, that's a, that's a providence verse. God works all things together for the good of those who love him or are called according to his purposes. We can be detoured for lots of reasons. We can be detoured because of sin. Joseph, it was other people's sin. His brother's sin, Potiphar's wife's sin. We can be detoured because of just the frailties of human nature. 
a guy forgetting. We can be derailed because of circumstances. That's, or excuse me, detoured because of circumstances. That's Paul getting sick. I don't necessarily think God causes any of that, but I think he can use all of that. And what he wants to know from us is, are you going to cooperate with me? Putting on those providential glasses, that's, that's the first step. This isn't necessarily where I thought I would be. But God, how do you want to use this to get me either character-wise where you want me or life-wise where you want me? Again, for Paul, he's faithful, plants churches. Joseph is faithful, and we can look and say, well, you learned how to run a house, and then you learned how to run a jail, and that probably made it a lot easier for you to, to run an empire. You learned the skills along the way. How do you go from being a shepherd in Canaan to being vice president of Egypt? You can't apply for that job. There, there's no way to, you can't get from there to there. Pharaoh has to put you there, which means he has to notice you, which means you have to be in Egypt. And we can look back and say what looked like detours, that actually was the straightest line from point A to point B for Joseph, but you only can see that retrospectively. And it's very difficult in your own life. So when you're in the middle of it, the best response, I think, is to say, God, what does it look like for me to be faithful? And would you help me to do that? Some of you right now, you're, you've, you've been detoured. Kind of the picture in my mind is you feel like you're in a cul-de-sac and you've been there for a long time. And we want to pray with you and for you this morning. And so I want to invite you as Bo comes back up. We'll pray with you about anything at all that you have going on. We'd love to do that. Some of you came in with a need, physical need, relational, whatever. We want to pray with you. I also want to invite those of you who right now would say, I'm, I've, I'm on a detour. Or maybe you would even say it this way, I've been detoured. We want to pray that God would give you the grace to see that detour providentially. And that he would speak really clearly to you about what faithfulness looks like. I can't tell you that. It's different for everybody and whatever the circumstance is. Nobody's going to try to counsel you into a particular direction. We're just going to pray that God would speak to you in a way that would be most helpful. So if you wouldn't mind, if you close your eyes, we're going to pray. And first thing I just want to ask is, are you, when you kind of survey the landscape of your life, are you not where you thought you would be? As that 17-year-old boy, all your brothers bowing down to you, whatever your vision was, whatever the plan, has it been, would you might even use the word derailed? And if so, would you be willing this morning to say, God, give me eyes to see. I'm going to choose in faith to say, you can providentially use this to get my heart or to get my life ultimately where you want them to go. It certainly looks like a detour to me, but I'm going to trust that you can use it for your glory and my good. So would you help me to do that? Would you show me what faithfulness looks like? Holy Spirit, would you work? I'm thinking of the, the hearts of those who are in that spot. The tenderness and then maybe the kind of the skin that we put over, the, that callousness that we put over because it, it is so tender. 
God, I pray for grace in these moments to open that up to you again. And that you would come in, Holy Spirit, and that you would speak and that you would encourage and that you would comfort and you would guide. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week.